Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brad. I like it when scripture memory is short. I can identify with that. I can remember those easier. Um, have a couple of prayer requests as we're getting ready for our service. I'll, you might want to jot these down in your bulletin or somewhere just to, to remind you. Uh, Vacation Bible School begins three weeks from today. So be praying for vac Vacation Bible School. Pray for uh, Melody as she's going to lead that. Pray for uh, the volunteers, and that means as the opportunities are made available that you volunteer. Next week in the bulletin, I know there's some things that we're going to need to collect, so that'll be in the bulletin next week. And things that we need, people that we need, will be in the bulletin next week. So uh, look for that. Um, pray for Vacation Bible School. Pray for the kiddos. Pray how God can use you, because He wants to use you. Another thing I want you to pray for is our Back to Church Sunday. That will not be until September, but begin praying now. For some reason or other, there are people that you know that I know that used to go to church that aren't in church anymore. And those are the people that we're going to target for that Sunday. But I mean target, I want you to be specifically praying for them and then invite them to come to church with you in September. I think it's the 18th, but I, it's in the bulletin. I don't remember the date uh, off the top of my head. But it, it's one of those, I think it's the third Sunday in September. Um, so you'll be praying for that. Um, and, and pray for our church that as we receive our guests that day, that they'll know the love of Jesus and know that we love them, okay? Uh, now turn to Luke chapter 9 in your Bible. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at the miracles in Scripture. Um, when I taught seminary in Brazil a long time ago, uh, one of the reasons I left the seminary was because the director didn't believe in the miracles. I'm thinking, how can you read the Bible and not believe in the miracles? I mean, we've seen some great ones, and, and the miracles that Jesus did affected a lot of lives. Uh, we, we saw the, the woman that had the issue of blood that Jesus healed, or, or the, the people that Jesus raised from the dead, the, the son of the widow at Nain, and, and Jairus' daughter, and later Lazarus, all were raised from the dead. And then we saw the, the man that had the... the the legion of demons in him, that was, the demons were cast out and he was left in his right mind. All these are things that only God can do, and Jesus did them because he's God. Well, we're going to see one, another one of those miracles today, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I've tried to imagine a crowd that size. And, and the closest I can get to is a crowd at some of these high school football games. You know, you go to them, and, and I don't know what the stadium of Broken Arrow seats, but usually when Broken Arrow is playing and their team's good, the stadium stands are full. Well, can you imagine five or six of those stadiums? All those people, and, and I don't know whether you've gone to a football game or a basketball game lately, but when you go to get something to eat, what do you have to do? Stand in line. Because there are a lot of people that are hungry. Can you imagine Jesus with all this multitude of people? And he had them sit down in groups of 50. And the disciples took five loaves and two fish. Probably somebody's lunch. And fed all the, those people. We've heard that miracle so many times that we, that we miss them. The immensity of it. The awesomeness of it. Jesus fed all those people. Which is a little bit. 
and they had enough left over probably for lunch for the disciples the next day. That's awesome. What kind of response do you have as you read the miracles in Scripture? Uh, we ought to just be jumping. We ought to be like Eli. Just jumping up and down. Our God can do that, and He loves us, and He wants to be a part of our lives. Well, today as we look at the... At, at the miracle, we're going to see some of the essentials of the Christian life. We saw some of them last week, and I want to repeat real quick just as a summary. But the, the word essential means something that's fundamental, something that's necessary or indispensable, something that's basic. So the essentials of the Christian life are those things that are fundamental, those things that are basic, those things that are necessary. And so we're going to look and see what they are. The first essential we saw last week was our call. You have been called to Christ. If you're saved, you've been called, and without the call of God, you could not be saved. Why? Well, because we wouldn't call on God on our own. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no one that calls on the Lord. Without the Holy Spirit dealing in your life, you would not be saved. God called us. Matthew 9 13 says that Jesus called us while we were sinners. Romans 1, 5, and 6 says we are called of Jesus Christ and called as saints. Yeah, you can use that in your title. St. Steve, St. Stacy, St. Mike, St. Jeannie. That's what we are. We're saints. That means we're, we're holy, not because we deserve it. It's not like the Catholic Church where the people did all the things and they said, okay, well, now you're a saint. You're a saint because Jesus conferred sainthood on you. You've been made holy and righteous by the blood of Jesus. You're saints. Uh, Romans 8.30 says we're called to be justified and in him glorified. Wow. Romans 9.26 says that you're called as sons of the living God. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says we've been called into fellowship with Jesus. That means we have a relationship with Jesus. We can talk to him and hear him and spend time with him. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, 7 says we've been called for the purpose of sanctification. God called you because he wanted to make you holy and fit for heaven. Because if you're not fit for heaven, excuse me, if you're not holy, if you're not sanctified, you can't go to heaven. 1 Peter 2.9 2, says we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 John 3.1 says that we have been called to be the sons of God. And then John 1.12 says we've been given the power to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. And we were called into salvation. As, as I said, the, the Holy Spirit worked in our lives. And he did it all. God beforehand sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit came, and he rose again, of course. We don't want to forget that. He died for our sins. He paid for our sins. And he called us. He dealt in our life. He wooed us. And our, the only part we have in salvation, we accept it by faith. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, grace is God's part. Grace means we don't deserve it, but God offers it to us anyway because of Jesus. We, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's your part, faith. We trust what Jesus did for us to have eternal life. 
And then we have this promise, this wonderful, beautiful promise in Romans 10, 13. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'd not call without hearing about Jesus. And so God did everything for us to hear, and then we call upon him and we're saved. But not only does, does the Bible say we've been called to him, called to salvation, we've been called into ministry. We saw last week that, that we are priests, God's representative. Well, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors. But we've been called to salvation. We've been called to ministry. And we've been prepared. God placed you in a church that you might be prepared for ministry. Uh, Matthew 28 18 to 20, we, we know that because it's the Great Commission and preachers use that verse all the time and we say, oh no, again. But it says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So the role of the church, the role of believers is to go and make disciples and to help them to grow in Christ. That's what we're to, to do, to prepare them so they can be a part of ministry. And then uh, Ephesians 4.11 says he, he, he gave apostles and pastors and evangelists uh, and um, te evangelist teachers, APEST, um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So your church staff, your church leadership, God's placed in the church to help you get ready for ministry. That's what he's done. And that's part of our call. Um, we've been called, we've been discipled, and we've been sent. Uh, I already shared uh, the Great Commission. Here's John's Great Commission. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's, we've been sent. Luke 14, 23, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. And he's not talking about the church. He's talking about the kingdom. But he sent us out to bring people into the kingdom, and that should fill the churches, right? Acts 1, 8, but you have, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We've been sent. And all these are essential to our life as Christians. Well, as we look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus, we're going to see some more essentials of the Christian life. Because God's called us, He's saved us, He's, he's prepared us, He's sent us into ministry to love on people and to help them to come into kingdom. And then He's got some more stuff. So if you'll stand in, in honor of the Word of God, we're going to look at some more of these essentials. Uh, beginning with the 10th verse of Luke chapter 9. When the apostles returned, that's after they'd been sent, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who, were needed, who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find food and lodging. 
because we're in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no, no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then, then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke them. He gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, and speak through me, Father. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first essential that I see in the text is that the stories are essential. Uh, here's one of the most exciting things about the essentials I see. He'd sent them out, they went out, and they did what they did, and then they came back and reported to Jesus what was going on about how they'd healed the sick and, and they cast out demons and told Jesus about all that had happened. I can just imagine the stories as they're sitting there, and one of them says, hey, Jesus, here's what happened, and, and these people were saved, and, and these people were healed, and another one said, you know, that's pretty exciting, and this is what happened here, and this, and can you imagine how they, excited they must have gotten as they heard the stories, as they heard how God was, was glorified and had used them to do what God sent them to do. Imagine their joy as they heard each other telling these stories. And I can just imagine the smile on Jesus' face as he sits and hears how God is at work in the, in the people's lives as they preach the kingdom. Now listen to this. Our stories, our testimonies are important as we share what Christ is doing in our lives and through our lives. Because as we hear them, we're blessed and we're encouraged. In almost 50 years of ministry, I've seen God do a lot of things. And I've heard lots of stories. But I want to share a story from 1992, 30 years ago. At that time, Sandy and I were still serving with the International Mission Board, the Foreign Mission Board then. And at that time, Falls Creek invited furloughing missionaries to come and share in the churches. And so Sandy and I got to go representing the IMB, and, and we got to share in about 10 churches during that week and eat with a lot of churches and eat a lot of good food. And one of the churches we ate with was Lynn Lane. Their pastor was Paul Brady, who Sandy had gone to, to high school with and, and been in youth group with, and, and we went to OBU with him. And so we knew Paul, and he invited us to come have lunch. Well, after lunch, everybody left, except for one of their sponsors. Mike Cox. And Mike began to share his story. He shared about what God had done in his ministry and in his life. He shared about what his dreams were for his church and what he wanted to see God do in his youth group. And we were blessed as we heard what God was doing. And we need to be doing that with one another. Share what God's doing in our lives. I mean, it's important that you share your salvation experience with people. 
because it keeps it fresh in your life. It helps to bring it to remembrance. But we also need to share what we see God doing. Uh, God's at work all around us. And if you look, God's at work in you. And I don't mean by way of bragging because I had never caught that from, from Mike. He wasn't bragging. He was humbly sharing, sharing what God did. And that's what we need to do because it'll bless us. It's essential in our Christian life that we live in fellowship with one another and encourage one another and pray for each other and share with each other what God is doing in our lives because it blesses us and it encourages us and it strengthens our faith. We used to do that a lot of times in our churches on Sunday nights. We stopped doing it because people stopped sharing. But I want to encourage you to share your stories. Start by sharing them with your spouse or your children or your neighbors or your Sunday school teachers. Just look for God in it, work in and around you and tell somebody. Now, there's another aspect of the stories that that the disciples told. They were accountable to Jesus. They were telling him, you sent us out, this is what we did. They were accountable. And through our testimonies and by our our stories, we're accountable to one another. If we're honest, we can share what's going on in our lives so that people can pray for us and encourage us. And tell us what, and, and, and we can share what areas of our lives we specifically need prayer in and, and need to be shaped in. And we can hold one another accountable. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote, Just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As we hold each other accountable, we sharpen each other. And we bring him glory as he works in our lives. Well, not only did did they share the stories, but they remained in contact with Jesus and remaining in con- connected to Jesus is essential to the Christian life. Um, how many of you, and I don't want, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you have a friend or had a friend a long time ago that's no longer your friend? Uh, beginning in first grade, my best friend was Mike Harrison. And we did everything together. Uh, we went, we were in Cub Scouts together, we were in Boy Scouts together, we went camping together, we, uh, I went over to his house, or we, he went, came over to my house, and we lived a mile and a half apart, and we'd walk back and forth to each other's house if somebody couldn't take us, uh, but we were inseparable until high school, and in high school, he got into VOAG, and I got into music, and because I was in music, it met at the same time as VOAG, and so I could never get into VOAG. And so we were on different tracks in school and began to have different friends. And slowly but surely, we parted ways. By the time he died, less than 10 years after our graduation from high school, I had lost total contact with him. Sometimes people get so busy that they lose contact with Jesus. They don't make that relationship with Christ a priority, and they don't stay connected. I mean, it's important that that we're here in worship, and it's important that you're part of a, a small group like Sunday school class, but it's also important that you spend that time with Jesus. 
private prayer, private worship, fellowship, meditation upon the Word of God, allowing the Lord to speak to your heart and listening and doing what He has to say. Jesus spent time with the disciples because He was molding them and preparing them for all that He had them. And He loved them, and they knew that. And because He loved them, He wanted to spend time with them, just as He loves you and wants to spend time with you. How do I know God loves you besides the fact, excuse me, besides the fact that the Bible says over and over and over that God loves us? Well, because it says in His Word, He knows all about you. He told Jeremiah, He said, Before you were born, I formed you in the womb. Excuse me. Before you were born and you were formed in the womb, I knew you. He says, He knows our sitting down and our rising up. He told through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I have plans for you, plans for a future and a hope. And Jesus said, God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. That's pretty insignificant. Especially when every time you brush your hair, you comb your hair, you wash your hair, or you just run around outside in the sunshine, you find it falling off. God loves you that much, and He desires that time with you. Remain connected. Remaining connected to Jesus is essential. Then the third essential uh, in this text, times of retreat are essential. Uh, Have you noticed how often Jesus got away to be with the Father? Every time you look around, the disciples are sleeping, and Jesus is out praying. either got up early in the morning to pray, or he was up late at night and he was praying. And you can learn more about Jesus' prayer life from the time he spent alone praying than from the time he prayed out loud. It's essential that we have that time. Jesus took his disciples away. Uh, verse 10 says, he took them away uh, privately to a town called Bethsaida. Um, other manuscripts add that this was a deserted place near Bethsaida, whatever. Bethsaida means house of fish, and it was a, a small fisherman village on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was about five miles from Capernaum, and Jesus went there alone with his disciples to, be, to spend some private time with him, but the crowds heard about it, and so they came on shore, and it said there were 5,000 men, and most of them probably brought their families. And so it could have been anywhere from, who knows, 15,000, 40,000. You know, I don't know how big their families were, but there were a lot of people. Now, Jesus has just taken his disciples away for a quiet time of rest with them. And then this crowd shows up. What do you do when your plans are interrupted? Do you get all upset? Do you, are you like the, uh, when Jesus told about, about the Good Samaritan, this wasn't a parable, it was a real story, but do, are you like the, the priest and the Levite that come along and they see this guy laying there, they oh no, I'm going to get up the other side of the street. I'm not going to touch this guy. Or do you embrace it like the, the Samaritan did who stopped to help the man? Well, Jesus embraced it.
Several years ago, uh, a fellow by the name of Brandon Heath, a contemporary Christian artist, wrote a song called Give Me Your Eyes. I want to share the song. Listen to the words. They're, they're written real tiny on the, on the screen, so if you're close enough or your eyes are good enough, you can read them. But listen to the message. So go ahead and play that if you would. Jesus saw the people's needs there, and he spent the rest of the day meeting needs, loving on people, teaching, preaching, healing those that needed to be healed. And the crowd didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay there with Jesus. They knew that Jesus loved him, and they enjoyed spending the time. But the disciples said, uh, Jesus, it's getting kind of like, they may have been feeling their stomachs rumbling, maybe like some of y'all are about now, thinking about lunch. And, and they were after thinking about it and said, well, Lord, we can't feed them. You send them, send them away. Maybe they can go find something to eat in the surrounding villages and towns. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Was this a lesson in ministry? A lesson in faith? Whatever it was, they failed. Uh, they said, Lord, we don't know how to do that. There's, we've only got five loaves. And when you talk about loaves, not talking about the little loaves, but the little bun-sized loaves and a few fish, enough for one person. They said, we don't have enough. But they forgot who they were with. They may have been thinking, you know, we're out here in the middle of this place, in the middle of nowhere, and it's impossible. Still, Jesus said, okay, have them sit down in groups of 50. And he blessed and he broke the bread and the fish and gave enough so that everybody was fed. And notice how much they had left over? Twelve baskets. How many disciples were there? Hmm. Jesus provided for the people. Well, the third essential is well, the first essential, the, disciples, the stories are essential. The being with Jesus is essential. The third, power for ministry is essential. Jesus didn't ask the disciples to do what they couldn't do if he didn't empower them to do it. Now, Jesus is the one that, that, that distributed, I mean, that blessed it and multiplied the food. But who fed the, the multitude? The 12 disciples. Because they could do that. And Jesus calls us to do what he empowers us to do. He's called you to compassionate service in his name. He's called you and equipped you and empowered you to serve him, whether it means to serve your next door neighbor or the person across the street or around the world. Whatever he calls you to do, he's got the power for you to do it. Remember uh, back in the, the book of, of Acts, Jesus told the disciples after the resurrection, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit came there in Acts chapter 2, and, and they're out, and they're sharing the gospel in all these different languages, and the, the gospel began to spread from there. And we have the record of the spread of the gospel in the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Acts, is an, the very last word is an adverb. 
It's the word unhinderedly. What Luke writes at the book of Acts. Uh, Paul's in, in Rome, verses 30 and 31. Paul's in Rome. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Remember, he's in jail. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhinderedly. There were no barriers to the gospel going. You know what? That same Holy Spirit that came in Acts, you got when you were saved. At the moment you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He came into you. He filled you and He sealed you and, and he's, he's, He blesses you. And He empowered you to do all that God calls you to do. John writes in, in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 4, you're from God, little children, and have over, overcome them or the world because greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. He's empowered you to do all he calls you to do. Our calls are all different. God's got ministry for all of us. We just need to go in Jesus' name. We need to make sure we spend time with Jesus so we can know him and know his heart, and then we are empowered to do what he calls that's the essentials of the faith. You're called. You're called to be saved. You're called by God into ministry. You're called. And you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit. You've been equipped by the church. You've been equipped if you spend time in the Word. And you've been sent. And you're encouraged by the stories as you hear what God's doing in the lives of others and as you share what God's doing in, in your life. You're, you're encouraged and you're an encouragement. Those are essentials. And as you remain connected to Jesus, He blesses you. One of the sweetest times we can have every single day is the time we have with the Lord. As we read His promises. As we read what He's done in the past. I'm just finishing up, Jer in fact, I just finished up Jeremiah two days ago. And as I was reading through Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, this is what God's going to do. And then at the end of Jeremiah, we see where God did it. And as you read through the, the historical books, you can see the same thing. Jeremiah said it's going to happen, and we see how it happened. Jesus teaches us through the Word. And He blesses us. And then He calls us to go do things. And he empowers us. A couple of weeks ago, one of our little ladies had some difficulty with her eyes, and she still does. But I called her on the phone. Oh, a few days later, I called just to minister to her and, bless, and see how I could be used to minister to her. She ministered to me because she shared her story. You see, God can use every single one of you to be a blessing. To love others through you. Because God wants to do that. That's the kind of God we serve. Those are the essentials of the faith.